0: but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Hey, everybody. Dave Hodges here, host of The Common Sense Show. We are the show that is freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. And uh, we're really, really glad to be with you. And uh, thank you so much for those of you who attended the Tea Party meeting in which uh, ousted Representative Liz Harris and I uh, jointly appeared together. And uh, we're continuing to work on that situation. And just to let you know, I'm kind of being stalked wherever I go now. So uh, we had a couple of interviews disappear on us. So that lets you know, you know, when you're taking flack, you're over the target. So, hey, thank you all for your support. Our podcast interview with Liz is up to 85,000 uh, hits right now. So um, we're going to cross a 100 easily, and that's uh, we may set a record with this. So thank you so much for your support. But we have a really, really top-notch Interview today with a first-time guest on our show, his name's Chad Stewart, and we're going to be talking a little bit about a liter- literature, education, which you know is near and dear to my heart since I've taught everything from ninth grade to postgraduate, and uh, we're going to hit the education part pretty hard, and it has uh, social and cultural implications, as you know. I maintain we're going through a malice cultural revolution, and I know we're going to touch on some of that at least in a peripheral way. So uh, we're going to have a really good interview with Chad, but first got to take care of some business. Uh, I, I'm very concerned. Biden's new racist home loan program, and I, I break it down for you over on the, the YouTube side, and I won't go into it here. But let me just say this very quickly here: I think this has economic uh, catastrophic um, consequences to to it right now, uh, giving lower loans, uh, interest rate loans to people below 680 on their credit score uh, with a declining dollar and i could go on and on but you get the idea folks i think this is uh, one nail in the american economic coffin and so what i'm going to tell you here is that i don't want you to have to stand in a government breadline. i want you to be independent you need food water guns gold ammo natural medicine and tools and you say what are the guns for dave well that's to protect uh, from the people who will break into your house who didn't bother to prepare so let's get the food let's get the food. Let's get it out of the way. Uh, still great specials at My Patriot Supply. 2,000 calories per day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's why you don't buy in, rest, uh, in grocery stores because these grocery stores you'll buy in bulk and you'll have an imbalanced diet. So go to foodwithdave.com. That's foodwithdave.com. And I figure as long as we're suffering, um, we do uh, have a relationship with Mike Lindell and My MyPillow. Uh, Mike's people reached out to me and said, Dave, we want to send you some samples and we'll hope you'll advertise for us I said no need for the samples my wife has already bought everything you guys sell Uh, we love it and uh, they have unbelievable sales for you right now two for one 50% off couple cases 75-80% off and if you want to see the catalog and the reduction in rates All you have to do is go to MyPillow.com backslash Hodges, MyPillow.com backslash Hodges, and they're going to ask you for a coupon code. That's easy. The coupon code is Hodges. So those are our two live read sponsors for this show. You will have an embed here from Noble Gold, and given what I'm saying about the economy, listen carefully to that. Please take notice. Well, Chad, I want to welcome you to the show and what I'd like you to do before we jump into these most interesting topics and stuff that you've written, tell uh, the audience a little bit about your background, since this is your first time on the show.
1: Sure. And thank you, Dave. I've, I've been listening to you for, for years. Love your show. Oh, thank you. Great to, great to finally be on. And I know, I know so much of your history, because you're, you, know, you always talk about it. And I remember you mentioned at one point you were going to be... Uh, when things were really hitting the fan, you were thinking about New Zealand. Was it New Zealand? You were going to coach? Was that right? Well, that was years
0: ago. Yeah. And you know what happened? You know what happened to that? My wife was on board with this. Our son was young at the time. I can't believe it. He was that young. Now he's graduating uh, with his undergrad, and he's trying to get into law school. and time flies. But anyway, yeah, the New Zealand people, I worked a basketball camp at UCLA very quickly here after I was at University of Indiana, and I was the shooting coach for, for part of their summer camps. And uh, someone in New Zealand uh, got thrown my name. They contacted me, and this is just after I had retired. God, this is going back 10 years, I think. And just after I had retired, and they said, uh, our under-18 program needs a specialized shooting coach. Could you come down here and make a two-year commitment? Well, we thought it would really be a cool thing to do. And and I couldn't believe my wife was so on board with this. And my wife said, hey, we'll just get a family member to live here, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun. And I said, okay. So I'm starting to go through the process. Now when we get to the paperwork from the government, they said, no, Dave Hodges, he's too radical we can't have him in New Zealand. That's a true story. I remember that. That's, yeah, a, now I remember. that's a true story. So, so cancel culture came to me early. So, anyway, and then I yeah, thanks for thanks for remembering that. But anyway, tell people about your background yeah. a little bit. What 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 have you done? And then and then we'll get into sure. what you've written.
1: So yeah, so I'm um, originally from Newport Beach, California. Uh, I was back east in uh, Wellesley, Massachusetts for about 16 years. Uh, that's where I did. Graduate, and graduate work. Um, I was a British literature major, European history major, which will probably explain um, about the Br- Britfield series. And I was actually, um, I was actually an investment banker uh, over 12 years ago when I got the idea for Britfield and the Lost Crown, what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And um, part of it was I was just, I was in a, I was kind of in a funk. I, w- I really wanted to do something creative. I was dying to do something creative. I. I had writing background. I used to actually write um, movie scripts. That's where I got my training as a writer. And so 12 years ago, I was at this uh, Morgan Stanley uh, we- uh, seminar down in Providence, Rhode Island. Boring. I think it was insurance. And I started to doodle. And I doodled a simple circle, a basket, um, three lines, a boy and a girl, and I wrote The Boy in the Balloon. And for some reason, that was my moment. <laughs> and I just started. I just Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's like it started. No, that, the,
0: I'm laughing you know, because yeah. sometimes those insights of creativity just spur us to do amazing things
1: yeah so i went home that um that weekend and um and literally just on one piece of paper bullet points i started to outline this whole story it was about um tom and Sarah, two orphans they're they're stuck at this horrible orphanage up at um yorkshire um northern england it's called weatherly tom's been an orphan his whole life he's been at weatherly for six years this is the year he's going to escape but not without his best friend, Sarah. And somewhere along the lines, they commandeer a hot air balloon and start flying over England and exploring England. And um, But they're chased relentlessly by the illustrious Detective Gowerstone. And so it was kind of just a fun little story, literally bullet points. Like, where do I want to go? We're, we're up in Yorkshire. I want to go to Oxford, of course. want to go to Windsor. want to go to London. And I end up at Canterbury. Um, and I sat down, and it literally took me four years and 2,500 hours to write book one, and then from from conception, you know, your idea, your spark, uh, to actually launching book one, which was 384 pages, it took 10 years. 10 years of hard work, 10 years of dedication, 10 years of disappointment, frustration, rejection, you name it. And that really is commonplace. Everyone yes. sees this flashover substance industry and business that we live in, and everyone's a millionaire, and everyone's successful, and it's like most of them aren't. It's all, you know, it's all phony. They're faking it until they make it. And, and the other part of it is you don't see that the, the one to two decades behind it were the 10,000 hours. So long story short, we launched in 2019, August, book one, um, became a national bestseller. Um, it's actually out on par Right now, it's actually outsold most of the best-selling books that we know, like the James Bond series, yeah. um, Sherlock Holmes, uh, even Dan Brown's first three books within the same time period. We're on, we're on parallel with where Harry Potter was, and we will actually outsell Harry Potter in ten years. So, that, And it's um, actually one of the most awarded books in children's fiction. So, again, give, I give all the glory to God, frankly. So, I mean, it's, it's like you said ten years ago, you're going to be part of a – a national, international movement in education, creativity, and literacy through a, through a book series, um, especially a, a sort of a young adult series, I, I would say you're nuts. You know, I never had a desire to be a novelist. I never had a desire to write kids' books. I'm not married. I don't have kids. Um, and, and yet, here we are. And, um, and there's a lot more to talk about that, but, but that's kind of a quick overview. It's now a seven-book series. Uh, and there's uh, seven major motion pictures to follow. We're in development for the first major motion picture now. We just finished the script. Um, we launched the Britfield Lost Crown theatrical play last October. We piloted it. We just launched it nationally this year, specifically focused on middle schools and even high schools to, to bring quality content back in there. Uh, we've got television shows in development, and we're, we're starting some world tours. So.
0: That is absolutely... What do you attribute this success to in such a liberal environment? Because I kind of have a feeling of where we're going. Sure. Uh, one of the topics we're going to be talking about is creativity uh, being killed by the schools. And that's yes. not something the left wants you to talk about. They want you to hey, we're just here to indoctrinate you, CRT and all that nonsense. So how is it that you've overcome liberal filmmakers, uh, liberal book editors, and to do what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I think I think it took 10 years to kind of build our infrastructure, um, our team um, our strategy our plans um, just to give you an idea when we launched in 2019 we started a national school tour that was always one of my plans I'm like like boots on the ground get out to the schools and uh, I ended up driving 9,000 miles uh, 23 states over 200 schools and presented in front of more than 40,000 students so I think in some ways that was insane it was a real blessing uh, a lot of hard work but I mean I've been in every school format you know public private um, uh, Catholic, Christian, uh, homeschool, uh, charter, um, small, large, huge auditoriums, 400 students, small libraries, 50, 75 students, all over the nation. And, um, so I think, I think part of it was that, and I wasn't coming in to be controversial, I was really just coming in to talk about the importance of creativity, like who, who would turn that away, and, and writing, and storytelling. And so I come in, there's sort of this, you know, award-winning author from Southern California, and um, talk a little bit about Britfield and kind of what I just told you. And, and what's interesting, too, is through through the entire presentations at all these different schools, and some of them were really tough schools, Title I schools. We did um, four back-to-back Title I schools in Dallas, and you could just tell, right, when you're driving into the neighborhood and just in the field of the school. But the kids were awesome. The kids were incredible. And I never had a problem or an issue. And I think the, prob- the point is, is I wasn't coming in there to sell them something. Um, I was just coming in there to encourage them, and I was honest, and I was sincere, and I had a great presentation that was fun, you know, with pictures and some some fun trailers and talked a little bit about, like, Star Wars and, you know, things like that, just just from a story standpoint. Um, and, like, 50 minutes into it, I mean, literally you could hear a pin drop, and then we get to the Q&A section. You had 30, 50 hands up. Uh, and I was just going around you know and saying like hey that 's great that's a great question, or you know what I never thought about that that 's fantastic, just encouraging them and, and answering the questions and really engaging them this is fourth through eighth graders so i think I think that was part of our sort of um, you know impact on the schools it wasn 't coming in there as a ex a certain type of author you know i 'm just you know or a certain type of book it 's just a great fun. Fast-paced adventure series. Um, I think what's great about the book, too, is that it's, it's based in, in current time. So it's real. There is no fantasy. There is no, um, witchcraft. There is no, uh, black magic or occultism or demigods or superheroes, which is about 90-95% of everything that's saturating the market. And really all that does is it's a massive disconnect between reality. And so kids might enjoy it. I always look at it as like a McDonald's meal. Smells good, tastes good, and then after you eat it, you feel like, crap, you know, <laughs> and, um, and and that's kind of how these books are, you know, they kind of stimulate you, but you don't relate to them, and, and, and then, you know, interwoven through their words and whatever it is, um, is stuff that's really not too good, and um, so what you have is you just have a, a fun, clean book for all denominations, right, for all demographics, um, that's based on family, friendship, loyalty, and courage, um, as, okay. kids reading it, learn- okay. yeah, as kids are reading it, they're learning about history, geography, art, architecture, culture, and we're hitting... The four C's, creativity, critical thinking, communication, and collaboration. And so that's been the impact. And I'll stop there, but that's been the massive impact. Um, and in so many ways, it's like I just wrote, like, I, 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 we have a hard time trying to f- sort of say, what could we pin it to? Like, C.S. Lewis is, is, is close, and we've been compared to sort of C.S. Lewis. Uh-huh. But C.S., C.S. Lewis still opens up that world of Narnia, which is, which is total fantasy. You know what I mean, and we're we're not Narnia. Like all the streets are real and all the locations. And you know, I, I do deep research for every book. Like book one's in England, book two's in France, book three's in Italy. And we travel the world with the series. And in each book, each child gets one year older, which is great too. So we go from juvenile fiction to um, young adult, and then finally adult. So,
0: so what, what's your primary age that you think you're going to reach with these uh, movies and uh, with the
1: books that are out? I, we think with the movies, um, we actually, just, you know, from our research, we, we believe that the uh, first Britfield Lost Crown movie will be one of the most successful films in cinematic history. And we can talk a lot about that. Part of it is you've got about an 80% gap in the worldwide for, uh, just good clean content and oh, yes. um, family, family friendly fi- films. And that, that's a fact. Um, you, you, there is no competition. So if, if, you know, you want to write like great books like that, th- there is no competition. If you want to, if you want to do a movie and you, you're you're interested in getting that out there, there is no competition. Uh, television programs, you can't have enough good quality content. Television programs that are aren't off the reservation and aren't peddling this garbage and crap. And so you have this massive, like, I mean, that's why we're selling thousands and thousands of books. We had our first international rights sales in Poland two years ago we just got our numbers a couple weeks ago from the last quarter of 2022 and it's like thousands and thousands of Britfield and Lost Crown books are selling in Poland Um, obviously translating.
0: withdave dot com that's water dot com save
1: eighty dollars for a short time into Polish uh, we have fifteen other countries that are interested in and, it's, and, and we had anticipated this, but, but again, too, it's, you know, it's a lot of hard work, and it's been a long haul. Um, okay, but let, let me just yeah. say
0: this. If you were on Wall Street and you were being assigned an ESG rating, it would be extremely low for the content sure. you have because it's not woke enough. So let me ask yeah. you this. When you travel sure. around and you're speaking to different various levels and types of education yeah. outfits, where do you encounter the most opposition?
1: That would definitely be on the um, the public side um, a lot of the privates you know um, are sort of siloed in a sense or they, they can they can they can pick their own content if you will uh, believe it or not the Catholic schools have been really good and I'm you know that's just from my own impression I, I, I don't follow it day by day but um, they've been very receptive to us um, um, had no problems we've always done well like we come in there there's always a great uh, audience you know one, two hundred students. We do really well with book sales, which is kind of a gauge, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, they, like they're supporting you. The kids are reading. They want to, they want a signed book from an author, you know, so we sell 40, 50 percent. Um, so that means like almost one out of two students. Whereas, you know, we come to, we've been to some schools and it's just like, you know, they're not engaged. It's, it, it, it they're, they're just, yes, yeah, it's, it's a difficult situation. And we have 250 students and we sell like 10 books. You know what I mean? And so it's like, You know, just not, not, and it's, and it, and I found more of that sort of um, as one would go north from California, if you will, Oregon and Washington, um, than I did in the in the uh, West Coast. Hold on, you're you're
0: really making an interesting point here, by association. What you're saying is, the more liberal the environment, and when you're in a government school. Uh, the yeah. less engaged the students tend to be so along those lines let me ask you this question the sure. type of questions you get asked you mentioned that the students ask you really good questions how do they differ let's say among uh, christian schools for example and uh, government uh, schools in liberal areas how do the questions differ
1: I'll be honest, um, I I didn't find that they... they And it's a great question, you know what I mean? And I see where you're going with it. But they didn't really differ, especially at that young age, fourth, fifth, and sixth. The kids are still very... Um, susceptible, which is why the enemy, if you will, is trying to hammer them with just lies and garbage. There you go. But they do have, they do have that wonderful creative spark. And I tell every, every kid in there, I say, you're born creative. I said, whether you feel that you're creative or not, you're born creative. You have great individual talents. It may take you five, ten years to, to realize that. And, and I'm telling them the truth. I'm not, I'm not Tony Robbins. Splash over substance. Oh, you can do anything you want to, or, you know, the world's your oyster. You know what I mean? It's like, because all that stuff's crap. It's like, and and it's lies. It's like, there is no overnight success. Every overnight success takes at least one to two decades. And if you look, and I've done tons of research. I used to be in the business heavy, so I've read, I've read probably hundreds of bios, you know, you name it, uh, from every great pioneer to, to every great company. And it's like, none of them. Uh, they were all on the verge of bankruptcy by year three or five, you know, but they stuck it out and stuff. And so, you know, I let the kids know the realness, but, I, but the, the spark of creativity is a gift from, from, God. It's what he's given it to all of us. And even to your audience right now, you're like, oh, I'm not creative. You actually are. Uh, and God gave you that wonder, wonderment of cre- creativity. And, and, and I can tell you, David, like, I mean, when you're doing something creative is the world stops, right? I mean, it's amazing. It's fun. It's, it's exciting. It's, um, you know, as a writer, it's, it's hard work. But it's, it's, it's so rewarding, you know. And that's that's sort of my vehicle. That's my voice. And for everyone else, it might be something else. But it's like it, it helps with with um, stress. It helps with pressure. Um, stimulates the mind. We you know we don't use the right or left. We're using we're using the entire brain at all the same time. We don't use ten percent of the brain. Another one of those false you know negatives. Uh, we use our entire brain. um, but, uh, but no, like, like, the questions are, like, fourth graders, believe it or not, seem to have, like, the most, like, incredible questions. Like, you'll get this fourth graders, like, whoa! Like, it's a zinger. Um and fifth graders, it's funny though, like, by sixth grade, um, kids start to get a little more toughened up, and then by seventh, it's like, they're too cool for school. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I really haven't seen a difference from, from hardcore Title I public s- schools, uh, Title I schools. To Christian schools, to Catholic schools. We were, we even presented at a top Muslim school in Dallas to 200 students. And it was interesting when we got that opportunity. And at first I thought, no, you know, I don't, I don't want to go there. And they're like, well, why wouldn't I want to go there? You know what I mean? Like, like, let me inspire those kids. And it was very interesting too, because you had, you had a hundred boys sitting on, on one side, all dressed in gray and a um, hundred girls sitting on the other side, all dressed in gray. And it was very, um, sort of, um, static you know what I mean, and, and sort of um, melancholy. But as the pres- presentation went, the kids were great, they were excited, they were lively, uh, and started answering some great questions coming up to me afterwards and stuff. So I really found across the nation that kids are just amazing at that age. And you would think, because I was at like a top uh, private school up in, in Los Angeles where a lot of the movie stars send their kids. In fact, I met a couple. And um, we we, ha- we had 430 students in a huge auditorium with a – uh, movie-sized screen behind me, and and so I and I know you've done presentations it's like it's like that was cool, you know. Yeah. Wireless mic, and I'm like, and I tell my team, I'm like, okay, from now on, this is our standard, right? Um, to 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 you know, like a real rough neighborhood or or terrible area. I mean, we 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 made all the way down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We were all the way down to New Orleans, so we've seen all the schools, but I have found that the kids are amazing at that age. That they're not that. That they just have good. I didn't. I didn't find a differentiation, if you will, from. Yeah. Top. Well, you've already yeah. mentioned a yeah,
0: differentiation that jumps out at me. A couple of things here is uh, you talked about the zingers. A lot of them come from fourth graders or nine-year-olds, and yeah. see this parallels brain development because kids leave sure. the fantasy stage about the age of eight, and and so then they start to apply real logic. On it, and it's unfiltered at that point because this is a new form of brain development where we develop what Piaget called concrete operational logic skills. And that's why you're getting those questions. And you said by the time they're in sixth grade, you know, they're filtering more. Well, that's society. That society sure. saying, hey, those zingers, well, some of them are inappropriate. And in today's cancel culture environment, uh, that's been exacerbated tremendously. You're really hitting a, uh, uh, shall we say, what we knew to know to be true about kids' learning styles by age. And they're, uh, yeah, that's, just, that's fantastic. The other thing that I wanted to, uh, uh, say that i 've noticed here uh, with one of my undergraduate degrees being in sociology, and then of course uh, combined with uh, my uh, one of my graduate degrees in psychology is i 'm looking at this from a creativity standpoint and you 've really hit it uh, and you 've hit it indirectly um, that creativity uh, is predestined by freedom. And Mm -hmm. the more constrained an environment is, the less creativity you're going to have, which is why I made this statement like 25 years ago. 24 of the 25 microcircuits in computers were invented in the United States. Why? Because we're the most creative society on the face of the earth. That was then. This is now. Are you finding concerns that you have about kids' creativity being blunted at the young ages? Because it's certainly happening in the universities
1: yeah and let's shift there because because um, it's interesting too, like you said in it you know like as I wrote the book, I was just trying to write a fun fast paced exciting story, and there's a great quote by uh, the author Beverly, clearly, and she says, if you walk into a library or a bookstore and you don't find the story you're looking for, write it and that's what started with Britfield and lost Crown, and now the seven book series and real quick, our youngest reader is 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 been seven. Our oldest reader has been ninety three, and half our reading audience are are um, adults. Fifty five percent of our reading audience are adults. Um, but um, let's talk a little bit about creativity. Because so that so I wasn't when I wrote this, I wasn't thinking, hey, I'm going to write like a really great book about creativity in a sense, or or have an indirect impact on creativity, or end up starting like the Britfield Institute, which is our our nonprofit. Focused on bringing creativity back into the classroom, but all of that came along the journey, which has been a real blessing. And um, yeah, for for 20 years as a as a nation, we have been in a creativity crisis. And I get that title from um, a wonderful uh, doctor who wrote it. Uh, she's um, she's a professor at um, at uh, William and Mary. She wrote the cre- she wrote the creativity crisis, and she sat there for 20 years um, researching hundreds of thousands of students, and she found that in 10 specific areas. Every single year, for 20 years, children's creativity scores have been going down. Um, and, and so since the 1990s, schools have killed curiosities and passions, narrowed visions, lowered expectations, stifled risk taking, destroyed collaboration, narrowed minds, killed deep thoughts and imagination, forced conformity, and solidified hierarchy. Isn't that interesting? Is that amazing? All. Yeah by design not a single ounce of accident here because um the cabal the enemy whatever you want to call them don't want kids thinking for themselves they don't want creativity they want to kill creativity what's interesting is this right now research based completely across the board creativity is the single most important skill in the world no not engineering no not mathematics not accounting not law not medicine not a hundred other of those topics. All noble in their profession, uh, but way down the list. Uh, creative applicants are hired five to one, ten to one, in many situations. And what's so interesting is all these nut jobs are pushing AI, which they're really just putting the nail in a coffin. Yeah. Think. Hey, i love i love a quote that said the terminator wasn't a movie it was a, it was a documentary
0: <laughs> it's becoming more true it's, it's
1: what we yeah, call it's what but, we call
0: here the uh, predictive programming where you're foretelling yeah. the future through some uh of uh, literature or or film producing
1: sure but um the one thing that's interesting so so just real quick as we we're talking you're talking about your son going to law school and i didn't mean to like um be negative but it's uh uh, in the next five to ten years, this is what AI is going to do so, so, to society. Ninety-five percent of all accountants uh, will be losing their job because of AI and technology. Um, forty to fifty percent of the entire um, investment and banking market will be put out of work. Uh, forty percent of the legal sector will no longer have a job by 2027 to 2030. Fifty to, forty to fifty percent of all analytical, engineering, and medical jobs will be obsolete in the next five to ten years because of AI. But the one thing AI cannot replace, ever, is creativity.
0: Yeah, you, you wonder how far AI can stretch that. Um, particularly since AI is really arrived at sentience, and because of that, you have to wonder can they create creativity. But when you create creativity, you're kind of like Creating the opposite of it. Yeah. it because it doesn't conform to a paradigm. Yeah, no,
1: I mean, yeah, the whole AI thing comes from, if you will, the other side. Um, and it's demonic, let's be honest, at the end of the day. There is no good side of it. Um, and so it cannot be creative because if you look at the enemy or, or the devil, the father of lies, um, he, he twists and bends, but he does not create. He, he, he doesn't have that ability. He doesn't have that cre- creative ability. He'll, he'll take things, he'll distort them, he'll twist them, he'll copy them, he'll steal them. But he cannot create, and I don't think, it'll it'll try to, and I know it's writing essays right now, but it's not creating essays. It's writing essays based on other, other novelists and other styles. It's creating artwork, but it's a compilation of, of other great famous artists. You know what I mean? So it's not creating anything original.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. It is not original, but the thing is, it could be superior to human competition because of processing speed and the lack of errors.
1: Sure. No, I mean you're already you already getting these debates at some universities where they're they're saying, well, you know, maybe we do accept an AI, you know, <laughs> um, paper or, or, or essay or or whatever, you know what I mean? And it's just the, the audacity of even having the debate is is ridiculous, you know. And just like the the frog that's being you know boiled, you know, they're starting warm and stuff, and little by little, people accept it and people will, will engage it. But I'm I'm optimistic um on the creative side on the human side and um and for you know parents and and teachers and schools to really push creativity to bring creativity back into the classroom start doing fun creative exercises uh which would get us into the whole educational side of things if you want can get us into um uh really the homeschool movement which i i'm fascinated and been following i'll say this real quick david and then uh defer to you but when i was um on my tour, it was an amazing experience, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime driving. And uh, what I would do is I'd, I'd be driving for two or three weeks, and then I'd park within a city like Dallas, and then I'd fly back for a weekend real quick, right, just to get a break and kind of catch up and mail, and then fly back, get my car, and continue tour. tour. Um, and then it was in 2020, <clears throat> March 2020, I was in Memphis, Tennessee, just did four schools back-to-back Monday, Tuesday, <laughs> when uh, all this nonsense and false pandemic was happening. And so, and I was so excited to be where I was because I, I, I was dying to get to the, the Midwest, right? I wanted to get to um, to Kentucky. I mean, I was in the heart of Tennessee. I wanted to get to Kentucky. I wanted to get to Ohio, Michigan, um, back east, you know, the south. I mean, that was part of the drive, getting there. And, um, and all of a sudden, all the schools started closing. And so I had to drive back. And um, and it was hard too because it's like your tail between your legs. You know, it's like it's like driving. There's one thing because like every three hours I'm coming into a new town and there's a school and it's fun. Now I'm like, just how fast can I get back to San Diego? Right? I mean, I'm in the middle of the state. Um, but I was thinking to myself, I said, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how many kids return to school when this whole nonsense uh, is over.
0: Right now, go to MyPillow.com backslash Hodges. Use the coupon code Hodges to take advantage of these great opportunities. MyPillow.com backslash Hodges, coupon code Hodges.
1: And I was asking some colleagues, and they're like, what are you talking about? And I said, what, what percentage do you think it will be? And they said, why? And I said, I'm basing it on three things. I said, for the, said, for the first time, as kids are coming home, parents are going to realize what's being taught in the classroom and what their kids are exposed to, and those parents are going to be horrified, and disgusted. Number two, they're going to be surprised how far behind a lot of their, their their children were in certain subjects. They shouldn't be. And number three, how quickly their child could actually complete the assignments for the day within, I don't know, what do you think, a couple of hours, and then have the rest of the day to do what? I don't know, um, play? and invent, and have fun, and read, and go to the park, and explore, and et cetera. Now, it's basing it on those three things. And all of a sudden, within 12 to 18 months, I'm getting statistics that 30 to 40 percent of parents won't be sending their kids back to school. Meanwhile, on the other side, you have a tipping point of the homeschool uh, movement that, was, that went from 5 million homeschoolers to over 15 million homeschoolers in the last 18 to 24 months and growing. Um, I'm saying that right now we're in an educational reformation. Uh, just like Luther uh, back in the 1500s. And I think in many ways we're we're in a... um uh, we're in a homeschool revolution.
0: I I totally agree with you, but here's my concern on this area, and I support the homeschool revolution because the test scores and the achievement levels far uh, well. Let's put it this way: homeschooling kids far outweigh public school kids, often by as much as two or three grade levels. So, um, but here's what happened. Sure. Here's what happened in Germany, though, Chad. This is really disturbing. Um, I learned from a court case when a German family relocated to the United States because they insisted on homeschooling their kids and they wouldn't obey the German government, the German government actually extradited them and tried the parents to put them in jail because they've outlawed homeschooling. I'm wondering how long it's going to be till the communists running our government right now do the same thing.
1: That's very valid. It's very valid. Um, I, I tend to be on the optimistic side, if you will, but but I'm um, I'm very aware, very aware of what's going on. Um, I, I follow it. I like to say that I've been awake um, and relearning history for 12 years. Um, your show was one of them. Hot, you know, um, Hagman was what, another one. Um, I love um, uh, Dr. Uh, Ted. Uh, uh, I can't think of was last name? Dr. Ted. Ted Ber- Ted Brewer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I drifted. You know, and so those guys have all been really great instrumental in, uh, in yourself, too, in, in waking me up um, and what's going on. I've done deep research, deep dives. I've gone pretty much as far down the rabbit hole as I can, and I think it's interesting. But my calling really is to uh, to inspire and to be part of the solution. Um, but it, it, it's it's interesting. I, I would say this, too, in the last two years, there's there's a lot of negative that's happening right now, of course, and there's a lot of negative that came out of this whole whole fake pandemic which is just mind-blowing um but on the other side we i don't think as a nation we have ever been more awake and i know it's frustrating because it's not fast enough but if you're honest with yourself i don't think there we have there are millions and millions and millions of people now that were never awake two to three years ago Mm -hmm. that are awake not fully awake but but they're questioning for the first time in their life you have you have thousands if not millions of, of parents that are saying you know what i'm done taking taking these stupid vaccines or I'm not going to take the flu vaccine and questioning it. I mean, think of the exposure we've signed. I feel like in some ways, and and, and again, no matter how thin it's sliced, you can look at two sides to anything. But I think I do feel that we're in the last days of Nazi Germany. It's it's intensifying. It it seems like it's a lost cause in some ways. Most of it is all because of propaganda and media. Right. Uh, Because it's the only thing you see or read unless you're searching for alternative and they've been hammered. Um, but on the other side of that, you know, I I I can't help but the, I mean, you have you have you have you know you have mothers, you know, um, soccer bo- you know, what they call it, soccer soccer moms, that are standing up first time ever in their life, questioning um, these boards, these school boards or the councils. You you have um, I was talking to someone the other day, a couple of weeks ago, that is involved in helping um, uh, teachers get out of the union. And uh, and she's already pulled out thousands and thousands of, of, of teachers from that. Really, what it is most well, of the you, you union membership is is optional in most states. Yeah, yeah, but they put the pressure on, um, yeah. or a lot of people don't realize it. Um, but anyway, so so I think on the other side of it, I I'm, I am seeing a lot of positive things. I'm seeing us as a nation uh, more awake than we've ever been. Um, it's hard because it's it's being countered by what I would I would deem that the, the the most indifferent and dumbed down nation in the history of humanity right now, um, educationally common sense wise and creativityly you know with with creativity, um, but I do feel that we're 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 waking up, and I do feel it's the last days of Nazi Germany. It's never going to be over because there's always going to be an enemy, but I feel it's a scorched earth policy right now. I mean they're cornered um, they have counters to every counter that we do, of course, and they're very well entrenched i mean their their roots are in everything. Right. And I know you know that. And it's just like, like we've discovered it. We never know. We never knew the depths of it. It's like, yeah, we get government. We get the big corporations. We get these secret societies. But I mean, it's even local, you know, little local school boards. They make sure the people are there, you know, from the top all the way to the bottom. So they have total control. It was interesting, too, because I was I was in Wellesley, Massachusetts, uh, almost 13, 14 years ago. And they had like, you know, a simple newspaper uh like the Wellesley Gazette or something, you know. And Wellesley's pretty good. You know, it was like thirty twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand, you know, residents. And you know, I had a I had a architectural and development company at the time and I'd advertise in the and I and I remember when all of a sudden it, it, it was bought out by I think it was at the time it was Hearst Corporation. I'm like, what in the world is is Hearst uh buying this tiny little nothing newspaper, right? And this is before I was awake and I didn't realize that they were. It didn't matter for them. They were buying up every single ounce of any other kind of resource of media, so no one could ever get the truth, and everything was controlled. Um, well, they had, so I they did had find a, a purpose
0: out. that was subject specific. I've seen the same thing. With regard to the Trans-Texas Corridor, where they, uh, uh, the globalists who wanted to build an international corridor and basically take over the interstate in Texas, they brought in McClatchy, which was an Australian firm, to buy up media in advance of the eminent domains. So I've, wow. seen, I've seen this before, so that makes perfect sense, and I guarantee you there was a subject-specific area that they were concerned about or they wouldn't have made the purchase.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's funny too. I didn't mean to go off topic there. I just I sort of go <laughs> down that rabbit hole, but I and I didn't know what I know now. But I just it just struck me as being very odd. You know what I mean? I'm like, what are they doing, buying up these little, little nickel and dime things? And it was just they want it all. They they want absolute control. They don't want some local journalist in Wellesley writing a different piece to something that they're trying to push. You know what I mean? Or whatever it is, they want it controlled from top to bottom. I guess I was talking about you know the sort of matrix, if you will, that we. We live in, but I do think that people are awakening, um, at a very rapid pace. I do think that, um, I think there's a lot of good. And I think, I think on the educational component, we can bring, come back full circle to that. I think there's, there's some amazing movements there, especially in the homeschool movement. And, um, and that's sort of the old school, um, uh, matrix, you know, or, or protocol that used to exist a long time ago. I, I did some interviews on education last year on this show, national show that we were doing. And, um, it was interesting. We were bringing in this, old uh, teacher, and they were talking about, you know, the schoolhouses, you know, way, way back, and, and where it's like you had the one-room schoolhouse, but you had all these different students, different ages, and so, you know, each one is kind of learning at their at their pace, but they're involved in this great group, and that's the one thing I noticed um, when I was on my tour, and I'll never forget it, and it's funny what, what impacts you, but I was driving to, in Reno, Nevada, we had a bunch of schools out there that we were doing presentations, and then we were doing a homeschool farm. And um, I drove out to this farm, you know, probably like 45 minutes south of, of Reno. And I never forget driving up. And my first impression was watching these um, four or five boys playing basketball ages 17 to 12. And it's like, when's the last time at recess you ever saw that? Never. Um, and there was just an interesting component to it where it's like there, it wasn't a bowling or anything. They were just having fun. It was like the older one felt responsible for the younger ones, and the younger ones had someone to aspire. And then we we parked our car, and this little twelve-year-old girl with her hair pulled back, dressed nicely, came out and said, "Are you Mr. Stewart?" And I said, "Yes." And she shook my hand and said, "You know, I'm I'm so and so. Welcome to our our farm, and thank you for coming." I thought. Wow! I was like, "When's the last time a twelve-year-old did that?" I'm like, "I'm like, that's a future senator or a future CEO of a company." I mean, just brilliant. And then I went into the presentation, and all the kids were sitting together, you know, different chairs, different ages, and um, it's just the dynamics were incredible. And um, and that was kind of my first impression, if you will, of that sort of homeschool mentality. And I know it's grown since then. And I know a lot of people think, "Yeah, yeah, I get it, but I can't, you know, stay home or I can't quit my job." And um, and and it's not necessarily that way. It's if it, there's there's so many different dynamics for homeschooling now that you can drop your kid off at a homeschool group um, instead of your school, or you could take a day off once once a week and do. And, you know, I mean, there's just there's so many alternatives to homeschooling the kids. And as you had said, I find who are the best educated kids out there, bar none. Oh, I,
0: I totally, I, I totally, yeah. I totally agree. But see, you look at the public school system; the, the extreme emphasis is on teaching to the standardized test. And sure. that kills creativity because now you don't get to uh, really weigh the ideology of one approach versus another. It's just get the facts and move on. We don't have time for anything else, and that's a huge killer of creativity that I've seen in the public schools. And that now th- this um, there's a different flavor of it though in the university system, where what you're questioning one aspect of climate change, excuse me. Uh, do you want to remain in this class? I mean, this is what students are getting now, and that's that, that. Kills creativity, and you're supposed to have discussion and debate in college, and that's all but disappeared. There used to be academic freedom; that's all but disappeared.
1: Very true. I I agree, and it, and it seems to be getting worse. I, I agree with that, and it, and also the the older you get, uh, meaning like high school is a whole other. Topic and then you get into college and it's like, I mean, dear goodness gracious. It's like, and the costs of college. Are you out of your mind? It's like, yeah. I have a good yeah. friend. Actually, uh, one of my uh, film producers, uh, uh, wife, you know, has been involved in, in helping kids get into some of the top schools for like the last 10 years. And so we have some fun, some, some fun debates and fun conversations, but she was telling me like what these schools are cost, you know, 60, 70, 80, dollars a year now. And it's like, I it's just, I, I don't even like I just blows my mind and I know mean, actually you're you just kind of went through that although if you went to state schools it's gonna be less well you know I'm, I mean, I'm than lucky you're... my
0: son had a scholarship so oh uh, yeah, yeah. you know n- right. now the challenge is going to be the uh 26 to 30 thousand dollars a year for law school that's the challenge
1: yeah yeah and then law school just in general and it's like I, I'll be honest like when I was in banking I, I worked in downtown Boston and um I'd say about Fifty to sixty percent of all my clients were lawyers, and I never, honestly, met a lawyer that loved their job. And I've talked to a lot of them recently too. And it's like, um, actually, just the other day, uh, I was talking with an international lawyer about IP because we're, you know, for Britfield and international stuff. And he was saying, yeah, I worked for some of those big firms and just really got burned out and lost the love of law. He is now doing his own thing on his own as a lawyer, which is, you know, he's having some fun. But it's, um, it's tough. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's tough. I do like the basis of it. I think the foundation of three years is great. I think you could do a law degree in three years um, or even quicker and not be locked into uh, practicing law. I mean, it's like it's you could do a lot of things. I mean, a lot of lawyers that... Uh, have a law degree, but are now investment bankers. You know what I mean, or are in a hundred other places and stuff. But they yeah, have that well, interesting legal mind. You yeah.
0: just you just took the, my thunder away. My son has uh, <laughs> you know. In another week, I'll have a dual degree. Uh, one's in pre-law, and the other is in business administration.
1: Oh see then that that's genius, and I remember when they, they i I was looking at that myself when I was an undergraduate uh Boston College had that dual degree four years um, smart because you got a lot of lawyers out there that have a legal language and can't and, and literally can't can't read a um an accounting you know but can't start their own business same thing with doctors they've been talking a lot about right. having like at least a one year yeah one year business course so they could just get the basics because they go out there. And start a practice, and then they fail within the first 18 to, to 24 months. But um, the whole medical field is so compromised now. And I don't want to go down that road. I want to stay on education. But I mean, I could talk about any of these things, and it's it's very sad. I think a lot of doctors out there that think, oh, I'm a prestigious doctor. It's like, no, you're you're a legalized drug pusher, nothing more. Uh, with 90 to 95 percent of all doctors, you know, um, putting band-aids on things and solving problems through through drugs. Period. Uh, instead of natural courses and again, Ted Brower would talk to this to the ends of the earth um, and pushing unnecessary um, Surgeries and I know you went through that um, uh, Was it your knees or something? That yeah, was and, my and knee got on and I was
0: I was set for surgery in ten days and Ted said yeah. uh, "Dave, put this off for a month Give me a little time with the supplements and some other things and I said yeah, but I got a torn meniscus He goes trust me and I ended up not having the surgery
1: I, I always remembered that story, and it was kind of inspiring. But anyway, we can. Yeah, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say you, you, you're really hitting it, but see, it goes back to the fact whether it's law or it's medicine or it's education, we're going through a Maoist cultural revolution. Our kids, yes. in large part, and our university students are being turned into good little Marxists that have learned to accept limits on their creativity. That's at least my view from the outside.
1: No, no, you're you're right. It's 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 it's, it's it's true, and it's interesting because we are in this creati- – I, I even, even um, had someone quote this months ago, we're in, a, we're in a creativity revolution right now because what happens sometimes is when you suppress something so much, as they have with creativity, and I have a couple more stats for you real quick in a second, um, it, it's, it, it suddenly explodes, and that's what's happening. You know what I mean? Uh, creativity is the number one most important skill set in, in the world. I mean, I think it was uh, two years ago, creativity was the number one most desired skill on LinkedIn you know, for all the job stuff and, and stuff. So, so on, one, on one point, you have a huge crisis where kids are being stifled, you know, to think for themselves and with creativity. On the other side, we have a huge gap in, in necessity and need for it.
0: Go ahead. No, they're plebs. Okay. That's what the, the system is producing. They want to produce yeah. plebs, but businesses, people who are older than the indoctrinated generation, they still recognize the need for creativity in their job. Uh, other, sure. you know, And this is where AI will fail. But see, and, I, and I'll go political for a second, and I'll bring it back to education, but you're looking at the inevitability of the collapse of the dollar, in my humble opinion, CBDC, central bank digital currency, which can control every person's move, every word they say, or they can be fined, they can lose everything, like what Trudeau did to the Canadian truckers and and so when you look at uh, lack of creativity being forced in the schools it parallels what's coming with social credit from CBDCs it's the same objective we will control what you say we'll control your actions we'll control every aspect of you so you can't be a threat to the abuse we're perpetrating and education is training kids to accept this although i will tell you this it's this is coming to critical mass and i don't think These purveyors of social change uh, and malice cultural revolution have had enough time to make the penetration into the market that they want to make. They don't have as much control as they'd like. That's my view. One other thing I wanted to say, and I want you to respond to this. I made a note here. Let me go back to my note. Oh, yes. You mentioned, uh, really, I totally agree with you. Awareness right now is off the charts. But unless the awareness translates into action, it doesn't do much good. Now, I am seeing some uh, evidence of action, and, but it's on a narrow focus. In other words, parents will go to school board meetings and raise hell over their kids because they have a vested interest, but they don't seem to connect that to the overall attack upon our culture.
1: Yeah, but a lot of them are also pulling their students, out, their kids out of it. It's it's a radical change. I mean, we're we're looking at millions of students yeah. that are no longer in in the in the institutional system. That's that's pretty radical. That's pretty awesome. Um, there's over a thousand charter schools. Not the charter schools are the end all, but they're they're a beginning. They're better. There's over a they're thousand better. charters. Yeah, yeah. There's a thousand char over a thousand charter schools in California. It's like, what does that tell you? It's like the system really is. Is dying. It's going to always fight and cling on to the last. That's why I said last days of, of Nazi Germany. I mean, Hitler will her, Hitler will burn down his own towns so no one else can have them or use them. He'll kill his own people so no one else can, can can get to them. You know what I mean? It's like that's what you're seeing. I mean, they'll they'll kill to the only way to get rid of termites in your house is to exterminate it. So I've said it. And you know, uh, you don't you don't you don't, I don't have to get legal action um, from the courts to exterminate termites in my house. Uh, But these termites will will keep eating and and digging until they're physically removed. You know what I mean? It's just like, but anyway, that's another story. Um, But
0: No, I totally agree. Well, let's shift back to your series that you're creating now. Okay, so how available to the public? I, I know you've talked about where things are going. So right now today in April of 2023, how available is your information to the public?
1: Oh, it's it's very available. Um, you know, we're on over 80 different platforms. Um, obviously, Amazon's the um, uh, the um, large platform. I mean, it's got its good parts and its bad parts. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's it is kind of the new bookstore in the sense that I'm available all over the world. I mean, we're selling books like in Japan. We're selling books in India. How cool is that? <laughs> like um, like places that were physically not even there yet, as far as um, international rights. I've got a wonderful international rights lawyer um that's been with me for a couple years she's 30 years into the business we were just at the london book fair uh we're about to lock in 15 more countries uh which means so like if you see a book in french doesn't mean that that the um uh the publisher translated it it means that the rights were sold to a prominent publisher in france And then they translated it into French. Um, And so Poland was our first. We've got 15 other countries. So we're we're in a a lot of bookstores. We're we're in over thousands of schools right now, believe it or not. Um, We have a partnership with um, one of the largest school retailers in the nation. Just had a conversation with them two days ago. That's already purchased over 30,000 of Britfield books. and, um, And they picked it as their number one middle school book. Uh, to get into schools, and so they're in fifty five thousand schools that's that's half of the schools in the entire nation. and they picked britfield as their as their lead book. In fact, I just um, talked to him a couple days ago and and we we got they have a new board now right that that uh, has to vote on the books before it was sort of um, the guy I was working with could make the call. We've been totally approved by the board and um and they love Britfield and a lot of Newberry award books and a lot of best selling huge major publishers. Got turned down and rejected, so so that's exciting. So little by little, like we're getting thousands and thousands of books into schools. That's always been our beachhead. We're about to sign a deal with a major um, book uh, distributor that will get us into you know the rest of all the libraries and all the other retail and stuff. We've just been very smart, slow, strategic. Um, I look, I I had a I had a visualization, if if you you will, the other because it's like. It's like you don't see a lot on the surface right now, but our roots are going really, really, really deep. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, the thing will just shoot up and, and explode. And so I think, I think everything with Britfield and Lost Crown, the Britfield series, it's been a soft launch for the last four years. Um, I think this is our year for for a major launch. And really, Dave, everything we've talked about today, this is simply what this is my voice. This is my vehicle. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I'm sorry. And uh, it's boots on the ground. It's yeah. it's it's offering an alternative. Chad, you're breaking up you're just okay. a little bit here. I was gonna like say I'm offering an alternative.
0: Yeah, you're you're breaking up just a little bit. I got the last part there. But I wanted to um I wanted to get this in here too, because I think it's really important. You've been able to do this. I mean, some of what you've said sounds like you could be writing script for me. When I talk about education, okay, but and and let's put it this way: uh, the mainstream media is not my fan. So, w- what you seem to have been able to do is to uh, encapsulate your material in such a way that you're not setting off the alarms for the societal censors.
1: Absolutely yeah um uh, call it call it stealth education stealth movement really um not like i 'm giving away any trade secret, but it's like um it's just good content and we're not offensive per se but w- what we 're really doing is we're offering a natural alternative we 're really the opposite of Harry Potter, but we have the same thrill and excitement i've had so many um kids say you know like uh and again too, so much of that flash over substance, you question All the numbers. Um, The first Harry Potter book sold over 120 million books, and the entire series has sold over um, 600 million books worldwide. Uh, whether it was a single author or multiple authors, um, I would bring that into question. I think it's a Tavistock Institute um, program, <laughs> frankly. Do no, you, and, and you black.
0: think you're going to get away with saying that? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I agree with you. It. No, listen. It. Yeah. Um, there were two authors. i got to tell this quickly because we're almost out of time. Uh, yeah. The author of The Hunger Games had never written anything yes. before except for Child.
1: He's on my list. Yeah. Collins, too. Interesting name. And isn't she from. Um, Oh, what was that shooting that, 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 that the CIA town where the great shooting happened? Sandy Hook. Yeah, that's yeah. where she's
0: from. And, then, and wow. then the other thing, there was a lady who wrote a book called Among the Hidden. My son read this in the fifth grade, and it was Chinese propaganda for one-child one policy and so forth and environmentalism. Mm. And I'm looking at this, and I said, man, this is really out there. And, but it opened an avenue for me to talk about my son about the true story, so I didn't mind. But the thing is, I researched this woman. I tried to get her on my show. And she wouldn't come on, and I found out why. She had never written anything other than a child's book, too. Do you see the pattern?
1: Oh yeah, Yeah. oh yeah. So and and I and um um, oh what's his name? Cole I think is his last name. He he wrote um, the Committee of Three Hundred. Oh yeah, John um, John
0: Coleman. Yeah, I interviewed him before he died. Yeah. Uh
1: Yeah, he was great, and he was. He, that's where I got some of the information, and I started doing my own research. And then, obviously, it started to make sense. Someone, someone with absolutely zero writing background, scratched together the story, um, and and then suddenly it just took off like wildfire. Give me a break! But um, and those are always the stories they create behind behind the narrative. They're just a bunch of actors. All of them. Are, so all these let me are ask actors. you:
0: this. in yeah. what subject area? and We got to be really brief with this answer, but in what subject yeah. area does? Uh, your work get into the public schools? Is it under literature? Is it under English courses? What, yeah. Well,
1: what oh, it's interesting, too, because, like, for Britfield Lost Crown, um, it's a 384-page book. Uh, it's got five maps in the front of it, which is kind of exciting. We've got a wonderful Britfield.com website, award-winning website, with over 400 wow. pictures of wow. England. Of England. Uh, interactive maps, over 100 um, pages of information. So the, the website was designed to complement the book, and we also have an 83-page study guide for book one. So it wasn't just about selling the book or getting the book into the classrooms or the library. Britfield Lost Crown is now being taught at hundreds of schools across the nation, uh, and I get feedback from from librarians all the time. It's having a huge impact on literacy. Wow. So 14, 15-year-old reluctant readers, you know, the librarian just knows like number one, they can't keep Britfield on the shelf, and then they see someone that doesn't want to read and says, you know what, try Britfield, and they say like two, three days later, he comes back and says. Loved it because you have book two. He's like, that's the first book he's ever read from cover to cover. Um, and that's a whole other discussion on, on the way on the style of writing that I do. And, the, and it, it's really based on the three-act structure. It was almost written like a movie You see, this is what, that was, what we need to know. have
0: you back on the air to discuss, the mechanism here behind it, your strategy behind how you reach the students. We didn't get to that because we had to really break this down, but we are flat out of time. Tell people okay. how they can get to your website and order the, the works
1: yes uh it, yeah just britfield b r i t f i e l d britfield Britfield.com. Great website, all kinds of great stuff on there. Um, you can see our school tours. You can also see the um, theatrical play, which we just launched okay. in February. So, if, yeah, that's so a few teacher. And then um, Amazon and then um, a lot of other platforms, Barnes & Noble. Fantastic. Um, all of them.
0: Chad, we're going to have you back on to talk about the underlying approach take because it's. I think it's, uh, we need to go there for a step, too. But, hey, thank you for what you're doing for education and the kids and continued good luck with the work.
1: Thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate you. it.
0: Take care.